We are blessed that you are here with us today. We are blessed. We are we're having a great time of worship, great time together, worshiping, praising the Lord. Um, welcome to Grace Norwalk. If this is the first time you're here with us, we are so glad that you're here with us. It's always a, a blessing to have uh, people um, visiting and uh, hoping that uh, you guys will stay. We are a church in transition and we're here to help people to find and follow Jesus. That's that's our desire. So if you, you might be wondering, why is pastor sitting today? Well, um, I have a bad back. About five, six years ago, I had an accident. And sometimes I'll be sitting, sometimes I'll be standing. Sometimes my back is hurting more than other times. But also, uh, I feel very comfortable with, I'm in, in, in our small group with vet. And uh, I'm always sitting there. So it's like, it feels comfortable. It feels like we're talking to each other as as we're teaching the Word of God. And this morning, before I start our study in the book of James, I just, uh, I just want to tell you, uh, Janine was talking about this, uh, this announcement. This is the first time we do... Uh, by the way, that day on the, on the 20th, this, uh, November 20th, that's when we're going to do Thanksgiving. It's going to be Thanksgiving dinner. And it's going to be a bilingual service. This is the first time we do a bilingual service for Thanksgiving that I know. To my knowledge, it's the first time. But what we want to do is we want to reach out our neighbors, our family members, everybody who is in your radar. Make sure, make sure you invite them. Make sure you let them know that we are here to serve them. We are here to, uh, to be able to um, reach people for... Uh, we're here to find people and help him follow Jesus. So uh, I hope you get somebody uh, to come with you. Even if you can just get one person to come with you, we want to share, uh, share a message of thanksgiving with them. Uh, we want to share the gospel with them. Uh, another thing, uh, Pastor Roy, uh, as you guys, most of you guys know, Pastor Roy got in trouble, a little bit of trouble. He got his passport and wallet stolen, and, and so he got to stay in, 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 in France he got to stay in Paris until tomorrow. Tomorrow he's going to have, uh, uh, he has an appointment in the embassy, in the United States Embassy, so he can get a temporary passport, so then he can fly over to Bangui in Africa, so he can do his mission trip. He's been looking forward to this mission trip for years, for, for a long time. Uh, you know, he's going with, this, uh, with the mission uh, that's uh, digging wells, uh, so uh, to get water for people, drinking water and stuff like that. So the enemy always gets on the way when you're doing God's will. Don't you think so? Oh, it is. It is a reality. When you're doing God's will, the enemy is always stepping in and trying to mess things around, things up for you. And and so he he messes around a lot with us when we're trying to do God's will. So we just got to pray for Pastor Roy. Uh, it, it's a blessing that he was able to make this trip and uh, we joke around him and I joke around a lot and I said Roy it could only happen to you come on Roy you know he's always uh, he's always um, great guy great guy um, let's see what else oh elders please if you can see me after church I need 10 minutes with the elders probably around uh, 11:45. make sure you go and say hi to everybody first and and then we we will meet in my office around 11:45. Uh, before you go to lunch. So, I'm glad to be back. I, uh, I needed some rest. 
Uh, last year, uh, the church in Lancaster was going to give me three months vacation, but when I came over here, those three months disappeared. But I really needed the time off. And uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for asking how we went. Uh, some of you guys were praying. Some of you guys were communicating during those, those two weeks that I wasn't here. I appreciate that. That means you care. That means you pray for me. Uh, so I'm glad. Um, we're, going, we're going to the book of James now. We're going to the book of James. Please remember that day of Thanksgiving. I forgot to tell you there is no service on Sunday morning that day. Sunday, November 20, there is no service on Sunday morning. November 20th, there is only service at 4 o'clock, and with the service is going to be the Thanksgiving dinner. We are trying to make this something big because we're trying to invite people and share Christ, the love of Christ with them. Let's go to the book of James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is our, is our final chapter in this amazing book, so, so full of practical wisdom. We've been talking about how practical is the wisdom that James keeps on giving us over and over. Every single chapter we've been in this book that we've been studying has been full of practical wisdom, a lot of wisdom, a lot of good stuff, a lot of testing of our faith. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to chapter 5, uh, verse 1 through 6. And if you don't have a Bible, the text will be displayed on the screen. Uh, and uh, we're also working on getting some Bibles so when people come and visit us and they don't have a Bible, we want to give them a Bible to making sure that everybody has the Word of God at home so they can read it. But James, talking about James, in, in, this five, in these four chapters, the first four chapters that we've been looking at, James hasn't hold any punches and, and, and confronts and encourages the Christians he was writing to to live a life that shows with your actions what you claim to be. So James hasn't hold back. He, he throws punch after punch after punch. And he's like, James, come on. You know what? Slow down. But James is being so firm, so straightforward. And James keeps on saying, you know what? You're saying you're a believer? Here's a test. Test yourself to see if you're really a believer. So he's been trying to help these Christians to examine their faith. To see if their faith is real or fake. To see if what they claim to be. It's in reality who they, who, who they are, who, who they claim to be, is really how they walk, how they live their life. So just to do a really quick review, because we're already in the final chapter. Remember, he, he does several tests of faith. And he tests your faith. In chapter 1, he tested our faith against trials. He said, if you guys have real faith, when you go through trials, you are going to have the right attitude. When you go to trials, you are going to have the right attitude. You will respond the right way to trials. Or you at least will have the desire to learn how to respond during the times of trials in your life. When you're going through temptations, he said, also, there is another test of faith. When you're going through temptations, if your faith is real, if your faith is not fake, if your faith is real, you have to respond the proper way. This is the way God wants you to respond in the times of trials and temptations, this is the way you respond if your faith is real. If your faith is real, he also said, you ought to be doers of the Word. You cannot just be a listener of the Word. If you're just a listener, then all you're doing is deceiving yourself. You can listen to a hundred sermons, basically, he said. And if you don't do what those sermons are saying to you, then basically you're just deceiving yourself. And in chapter 2, 
He goes from, uh, from, from the attitudes of the heart in chapter 1. He goes to the, to the practice, to the real practice, to the real world. How do you deal with others? If you have real faith, he said in chapter 2, then you will deal with others in the proper way. You will not make preferences of people. You will not make distinction of people. You will treat everybody the same way. And that, he said that all the way from chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to chapter 13. He said you will treat people with the respect they deserve. You will treat everybody as they have been created in the image of God. And then he moves on and says, in verse 14 through verse 20, chapter 2, he says, you got to test your faith in the way you also tell others when they have needs. What do you do? Is your faith there in action? Is your faith there uh, acting uh, towards helping those people who are in need? Or are you ignoring those people who are in need? No, if you have real faith, he says, test it. How do you test it? By actions. You act on the faith that you say you have. If, you don't, if your faith doesn't have works, if your faith doesn't act, it's dead, he says. Then he moves on to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he does the testing of the words. How do you speak? What do you talk? Well, how do you talk? What, what, what kind of things do you say about other people or to other people? Are, you, are, are, your, are your words words of encouragement? Or are your, are your words words that destroy people, that hurt people? You know, if you have real faith, James says, you will build up people. You will help people. You will encourage people with your words. You will not destroy people. What kind of wisdom do you have? Do you have heavenly wisdom? Do you have earthly wisdom? Do you have God's wisdom? Or do you have demonic wisdom? He says, if your faith is real, you will go with God's wisdom. And you will live your life according to God's wisdom. And then chapter 4, which is the last chapter, Pastor Roy closed this chapter last week. In chapter 4 he says, you will test your faith against your own selfish desires. If you have selfish desires and you fight and you quarrel and you create wars with people at work, at home, anywhere you are, then you have to test if your faith is, is real or your selfishness and your pride are a priority in your life or, or, or is your faith real. How do you do? How do you deal with that? And then in verse 1 through 10, that's why he tells us to repent and be humble. If we have real faith, repent and be humble. In verses 11 to 12, uh, Pastor Roy was talking about uh, the test of your faith is real against your speech about others. How do you talk about, you know, what, what things do you say about other people? If you have real faith, you will love people, you will bless people, you will not try to destroy people with your words. And in verse 13 and 17, last week, Pastor Roy was talking to us about acknowledging God in your everyday plans. So basically, he was saying, if your faith is real, you will take God in consideration for your plans. You will not plan your future without talking to God. You will not plan your future asking God, you know, is it your will, Lord? Is this the way you want me to go? Is this what you want me to plan? A lot of times, uh, one of the things that Pastor Roy was saying is that a lot of times we make plans and then we pray about it. Instead, we should pray first and say, if the Lord wills. So when you have real faith, 
one of the things that is supposed to happen, you're supposed to come to God and ask, Lord, is this what I'm about to do? It's what I'm about to say. It's what I'm about to decide. Is it your will, Lord? Then that shows that your faith is in God, not in you, not in your own opinion, not in your own desires. So Pastor Roy was talking about this, and he made an it was an amazing sermon last week. I love it. Um, Do you take God in your everyday decisions? To ignore God's will is a failure of the testing of your faith. And so over and over, James, it's been testing our faith. All over these four chapters, it's a test after test after test. The result of that will show what type of faith we have. So James is of the mindset that if you profess to be a believer, so it is important actually that you also possess what you profess. Don't just profess it. But possess it. Live according to it. So James is concerned the people that the people he is writing to are really not deceiving themselves. Because there's a lot of people in the world sitting in churches claiming to be believers, but a lot of people are deceiving themselves because they're not living, they're not possessing what they're professing. They're not living according to what they know they should do. And James says, said to himself that whoever knows what's right to do and doesn't do what's right to do, it's a sin. Believing to be believers, followers of Christ at the same time, living lives that contradicts what we are claiming to be, is a failure of the test of our faith. It, it, it's really important to James that your life comes into alignment with what your words say that you are. If you say you are people of God, then James says, then I act like people of God. So what's next? What's next in chapter 5, which is our final chapter? What's, what's next from James to the believers? Last week, it was the test of how do you manage your time and do you take God in consideration in your decisions of life? Today, the test is money and possessions. How do you test your faith against money and possessions? This is going to be an interesting sermon today, let me tell you that. Because you, you, you will see why. You will see why. And I'll, let, I'll remind you what I said right now. So the question is, what does your resources say about you? What does your resources say about you? Show me your checkbook and I will show you where your heart is. Look at your bank account. Look at what you buy at home. And I will show you where your heart is. You might be thinking, Pastor, where are you coming up with this? How are you coming up with this? Because the Bible says that where your treasure is, what's there? There will also be your heart. Show me your bank account and I will tell you where your heart is. I told you this is not an easy sermon. That's why James left this for the last chapter. How how do you handle the resources? Anything you have, it doesn't belong to you. Let me, let me, if you didn't know that, well, I got news for you. Yeah, the car you're driving out there, it's not yours. 
The house that you're living in is not yours. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. The, the question is, how do you handle the resources? God has trust in your hands. How you handle your resources say a lot about who you are and about your faith. This is probably not going to be an easy one today. Now, now before we read the text today, I just want to tell you, uh, there are two different opinions as to who James was writing this to. Because in this section, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people, a lot of commentaries uh, have different opinions. Some commentaries believe that James was talking... So I'm, I'm going to give you two options, okay? Uh, pay attention to this because this is important for the rest of the study. In, in one hand, some of them are saying, some commentaries and so, some preachers, uh, some writers will say, James is writing... Uh, as a prophetic, it's a prophetic passage. It's a prophetic six verses. These six verses are prophetic. In, in what sense? They're prophetic in the, sense, in the sense of James is writing to them to non-believers who were rich and did not care for the poor. You've you got to remember when we start this study, we talk about the fact that these believers, these believers were running away from Jerusalem and they were running away and spreading themselves all over the place. They have lost everything. They have lost their possessions. They have lost their jobs. They have lost everything. And they arrived to different cities. And as they arrived to different cities, what, what happened is they were poor. And so they were poor and, and they took any job. They took any job. That sounds very familiar, and I'll tell you a little story after that. That sounds very, to me, that sounds very familiar, when I, especially when I first came to the States. So they just took any job, and as they took any job, they, they, were, they were trying to work hard. They were mowing the lawn. They, 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 were, uh, they were working with, uh, you know, with all the stuff that they were given to do at their jobs, and they were not getting paid. They were not getting paid. They were being mistreated. And so James, the possibility is that James is writing to them to encourage them, letting them know, don't worry, someday these rich people that have mistreated you, that have not paid you your wages, these rich people will pay the consequence. So that's one option. The other option, some writers believe James is writing to Christians. To Jewish believers who were rich, who had already been established there before these other poor Christians arrived there. And they were claiming to be Christians, but they were not paying their workers. They were claiming to be in love with God, but in, in reality they were in love with their possessions and their money. And they were not paying these believers who were poor, who were working hard, not because they didn't have money to pay them. But you'll see, as we read the text, they were not paying them because they wanted to hold the money back from them as long as they could. They were hoarding things. They were hoarding money. They were doing this stuff because they did not care whether these people who were working for them were able to eat or not. So those are two options. So having said that, either way, James' main point, in this text, whether they were believers or non-believers, it is the human beings. They had the wrong attitude many times towards money, towards material things and possessions. 
A lot of people are more in love with money. Money's not the problem. The problem is when you're in love with money. The problem is to the love of money, the love of possessions. And what do we do with them? So in James chapter 5, we're finally going to read the verse. Verses 1 through 6. I want to read these, uh, these six verses, and I want you to keep your mind open to each one of these verses, where he says, now, we finish chapter 4, right? And he says, now, I'm going to talk to another group of people here. You rich people weep and wail because the misery that is coming on to you. So James is telling them, you might be enjoying life right now, but the mystery is coming to you. It's unavoidable. Your wealth has rotten. And moths have eaten your clothes. Does that sound familiar? Does, does, has that ever happened to you when you put clothes in a plastic bag in the garage? And then you go a couple of years later, instead of giving it away to people who can use it, you're like, oh, it has a hole. A lot of times we feed moths, but we don't feed people. Just a little thing that we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit more. Your gold and silver has corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded well in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mow your fields are crying against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Imagine that they, they, they were not paying the poor people, the poor workers. They were going hungry because when they didn't get paid, in the Bible times, you will get paid daily. And according to what you got paid, then you had money to eat the next day because you got paid for your work the day before. You were able to feed your family. No, they were, they, they were getting fat, it says. They were, they, you were living on earth, indulging yourself. You have found yourselves in the day of slaughter. So they were getting fat. They were getting good. But their employees, their workers, were not. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one. Who was not even opposing you. Now, keep in mind, this is typical now of James for us. He's offering another test of your faith. He's telling these rich people, it's, this is one of the possibilities on the text, you're saying you're a believer and you're treating your workers like this? You're saying you're a believer and you are mistreating these people? You're not even giving them money to eat? How a person feels about and handles wealth is a test. How you feel about money and possessions and material things is a test which reveals the spiritual state of your heart. And James here may be speaking to people who thought on the outside they might affirm faith in Christ, love for God, but obviously they obviously love more money than God. And their life was totally controlled and governed by the love of money. You can see it in the text. They can, you, can, you, can, you cannot ignore this text. 
And so their spiritual state is revealed in the matter of the relationship to riches. It seems as if James was echoing the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 in the Sermon of the Mount, the Lord Jesus said, uh, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth... Notice the similarity to the passage in James. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal by lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves... Do not break in and steal. And then this. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. In other words, this is a test. That's what James is saying. That's what Jesus... Jesus did the first test on this in the Sermon of the Mountain. So in James chapter 5, it is really echoing the words of our Lord. So He is calling out on the wealthy... To check the true state of their heart by how they are handling, how they are dealing with their wealth, with their money. And you might, you might be thinking, oh, that's just, so this sermon is just for the rich. If I'm not rich, I'm out of here. Now let me tell you, there's no one here who's not rich. I can believe that, Pastor. We are all rich. You, you want me to prove it to you? I'll prove it to you really quick, really easy. What's minimum wage right now? See, you don't even know that. If you were getting paid minimum wage, you will know that. The fact that you don't even know what minimum wage right now it is. I went through Taco Bell the other day, bad influence from Tim, by the way. I'm always blaming Tim for whatever I eat wrong, whatever bad I eat. Ice cream or Taco Bell or churros. So I went through Taco Bell, and they had a sign... $17 $17 an hour if you want to come and work. And I remember when I worked in Carl's Jr. for three twenty-five, They were paying 17 bucks an hour. I was like, really? So let me tell you, since you don't know because you make more money than that, minimum wage now is $15 an hour. 40 hours a week. That gives you 2,080 hours per year. 2,080 hours per year if you work 40 hours a week, making minimum wage, that's $600 a week, that's $2,600 a month that you make. That's a total of 31200 a year. If you take home 80% of that, you're taking home $24,960. If you take home $24,960, if you type that in about how that ranks in the world, that will make you richer than 92% of the people in the world. Would you believe that? You still think you're poor? Well, let me give it, let me give it to you a little more straight. I'm trying to be too nice. A family of four, if you take home $60,000 home, you're still richer than 92% of the world. Most of us don't make minimum wage. That's why we don't even know how much that is. Why does it feel that we're not rich? It's not that we're not rich. Let, Let me tell you, by the way, 20 years ago, I was reading a study. Just two days ago, I was reading this. 20 years ago, it was calculated that the population, 20 to 30% of the population in the world were poor. Today, 
less than 10% of the population are poor in the world. We're always nagging. We're always, you know, after, after, after reading a lot of stuff about this, I feel ashamed when we're always complaining. You see how much gas prices are? Let me ask you one thing. Have we stopped putting gas in our cars? Have we stopped eating? That means we do have the money. We just, you know, you know, you know the, the, the problem is we are told constantly that we don't measure up to what we see on TV, on social media. Those, the glamorous, the luxurious, that is rich. No, that is not rich. And most of us don't even know because we have never experienced poverty. Most of you guys here have never experienced poverty. You want to you know poverty? Let me know when you want to go to Honduras. I'll take you to the second poorest country in Latin America. You will see poverty. You, you, you will see why I'm saying this. You will see what I'm talking about. Rich looks like glamorous, luxurious, and that's not it. A lot of us might not understand because of that, because we have never gone through stuff like that. Uh, let me just give you an example. Let me get a little deeper into this. So uh, even, You might not agree with me. No, there's a lot of poor people. In the... No, no. If people don't have what they need to have in the United States, it's because they don't want to. A lot of people just don't want to go to work. I'm sorry to be so honest with you. I'm not trying to be political or racist. But a lot of people just... I came here with nothing in my pockets. That didn't stop me from going to school. That didn't stop me from learning two more languages. That didn't stop me from working hard. At any point, in any time, I was able to work. There was a time I had no papers. There was a time I was illegal. Oops. Did we hire a pastor that used to be illegal? Yes, you did. You want me to tell you how I crossed the border? I crossed the border swimming through the sea in Tijuana Beach. True story. Yeah, I, I, I swam about three miles. Because the day before, they caught me and they deported me back to Mexico. Yes, I, that was me. By the way, I'm a U.S. citizen, so don't call immigration on me. But I had always, I have always had a roof. Even when I slept on the floor, I slept on a carpet. Let me tell you what back home looks like. You will be sleeping on dirt. You will be sleeping on the ground. When I was 12 years old and I got kicked out of my house, I had to go ask people. I would, I would go to my friends and tell each one of my friends, say, do you, have, do you have 20 cents that I can borrow? Do you have 20 cents that I can borrow? And by 20 cents and 20 cents until I had two bucks in my pocket, I was able to get it. By the way, we had Dunkin' Donuts in Honduras. So, you, you see, that when Tim brings these, these donuts here, I, I go for the eclair. Because that's exactly what I ate when I was 12 years old. And I ate an eclair and a cup of coffee, and that was my food for the day. You want to know what poverty is? I used to sleep in the street with a carton box covering myself for as a blanket. And just because 
my parents were selfish in their ways of living. And a lot of times we have no idea what poverty is. We have no idea what we mean by being poor. Let me give you an example that I was trying to give you before, before I got into this. After church, most of us will go to a place called home. But there is an apartment or a house. You will go into your house and you will set the temperature to what's more comfortable to you. Most countries in the world have, don't have that luxury. And you will go to the faucet and get some water, or you will go to the refrigerator and get filter water, and if the water is not to the right temperature, you can only just press the other button and get some ice cubes, right? Am I lying? <laughs> Living this place, a lot of us have options to go eat, and easily we'll go spend... in a meal. Even if you go to McDonald's right now, a combo will cost you almost 15 bucks. I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm doing it. I'm not trying to do that. But we have a way, we have a way better off than we think. Electricity. We don't have problems with electricity. Clothes. Did you, have a tr- did you have trouble this morning choosing what to put on? How many pairs of shoes do you have in your closet? There are people who have none. Or they have one pair of shoes if they're good, if they're lucky. How many vehicles do we have? Some houses, it's amazing how, you know, you are rich according to the standards of the world if you have two cars in your home. Some homes have four cars, five cars. They don't even know where to park them anymore. And by the way, our cars have their own home. And all you have to do is press a little button. You don't even get out. And we talk about poverty? No, we are responsible We're talking about hoarding stuff? Look at your garages. Am I touching nerves? Because some of you are are looking at me with like, yeah, and some of you are looking at me in a bad way. I'm just kidding. It's not true. What we do with what God has given us, it's not ours, it's His. What we do with the stuff we have, how we spend our money, our wealth, says a lot about us. So this is a test of your faith, what James is doing. This is a test of your faith. And let me tell you, there is a fundamental thing between faith and money. You cannot divorce faith from money. You're like, no, 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 money is one thing. Faith is, another. Faith is a spiritual. You cannot divorce the spiritual from the wealth and the possessions. You're like, how is that so? Well, let me prove it to you before we get into the real text. Luke chapter 3. There were crowds. And among these crowds that gathered uh, to hear John the Baptist, John the Baptist was preaching to them. And, and there were three different groups of people in Luke chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. There were three different groups of people that asked him, how should we prove if we have really repented? 
So how do we know if we are real, if we're believers for real, John? And when they were asking this question, John the Baptist, ch- ch- chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 11 on, uh, on Luke chapter 3, he says, he answered them, whoever has two t- tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Then he, t- he told another group, the tax collectors, also came to be baptized and said, teacher, what should we do? What should we do? How do we prove that we are believers? What should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Don't steal from people. Verse 14. Another group came up. Soldiers. Also asked him, And we, what should we do? To prove, our, to, to prove to ourselves that we have really come to the knowledge of Christ, to the knowledge of God, how, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. And be content. Be content with, what, with your wages. So basically, John the Baptist, if you look at the text, John the Baptist told them three different things. Everyone should share clothes and food with the poor. Tax collectors shouldn't pocket extra money that doesn't belong to you. And soldiers, you should not, you should not, you should be content with your wages and not extort money from other people. Uh, now, let me, let me ask you, which of these groups asked John the Baptist about finances? None of these groups were asking John the Baptist for finances. No, no one had asked John the Baptist about finances or possessions. They wanted to know how to demonstrate their spiritual transformation. John, we want to know what should we do? How can we express and, and show our spiritual transformation? And so John, did, uh, John did, uh, his response centers almost exclusively on money and possessions. Why? Because there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and how we handle money and possessions. Because where my heart is, is where my treasure is. You cannot divorce the two. How you, this morning, how you handle money and possessions says a lot about your faith. Hope you're not surprised. Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus said to Jesus, when he came to know Him, when he came to salvation, he says, Look, Lord, I know what I need to do now that I have come to the knowledge of God. Look, Lord, here, and now I give half of my possessions. Zacchaeus said, basically, he said, My heart, is this is not my treasure anymore. I'm going to help the poor. I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. How do you divorce possessions and wealth from spiritual truth, from faith? You can. And you know what? Especially, look at how Jesus responded in verse 9. Jesus responded, Today salvation has come to this house. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, remember what believers were doing? 
They were eagerly selling their homes. They, they were giving their possessions to the apostles to do what? To help the needy. They didn't consider their possessions there anymore. They were helping the needy. So, why did John's response centers almost exclusively on money and possessions? They wanted to know how to demonstrate spiritual transformation by the test of money and possessions. That's what he was telling them. Let me clarify something. Uh, let me clarify something. The, the problem is not money. The problem is the love of money. And that we think it's ours. It's not yours. It's God's. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 16 verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, what? God and... No, you can serve God with money, but you cannot serve God and serve money. James is not putting it easy for us, is it? James is communicating to people who were claiming that this is one of the options. People might have been claiming to be Christians, but their actions towards money and material things were of greed. They were greedy. That was contrary to the claim that they were doing. And so in verse 1 in James, he's telling them, Now listen, you rich people. Now, now let, let me get something straight against. Again, not, not only rich people are greedy. You can be poor and be greedy too. Greed is the... Is, so, so who, who are the people who are wealthy in the world? Those people who have more than what they need to live. According to the Bible, we should be content with having roof, having food, and, have, and having clothes. If you have more than that, you're rich. Now, let me, let, me, let me tell you something. I strongly stand for this because this is what's biblical. If you have extra after you support your family, you help your immediate family who are in need, after you help people who are close to you that you know they're widows and they need the help and, and you need the, the orphans, you help the orphans, the money you have extra, God has given it to you not for you to misspend the money, to spend it in the wrong way. God has given you that stuff to see how you're going to use it for the kingdom. That you will lay out treasures up in heaven, not on earth. God gives you. God blesses you. For that specific reason. You don't believe me, don't believe me. That's up to you. That's what the Bible says. And that's why he says, now you listen, you rich people, now weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. So James is talking to people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but were greedy. They were more concerned about their accumulating material possessions. You know, one of the things we do, and I have, I have also made this mistake. Is we try to get all these things and work hard so we can leave an inheritance to our kids. <laughs> you know why you have gone to where you are right now? Because you work hard for it. 
most people that get an inheritance, it's proven that they misuse the money they get. Did you know that? Check it out. People who are wealthy, not because they work hard for it, but because they got it. And a lot of times, oh, I got to give this to my kids. I got to give this. I like what Joe MacArthur said. Joe MacArthur says, uh, he says, I, I want to have enough money, just enough money, so that when I leave this world, I run out of it. And let me tell you, he writes a lot of books, so he's got a lot of money. But he puts it back into the ministry. Something to admire about somebody like that. What exactly is greed? Greed is the desire to have more than the, 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 more more of something. It's having or, or showing a selfish desire for wealth and possessions. Greed is the rightly it's rightly called one of the deadly sins. You know that there are seven deadly sins. It's called seven deadly sins. One of them is greed. It's like I want, I want. It's me, it's me. <coughs> it kills the possibility. Of a proper human relationship to God. Let me ask you one question again. Have you ever think about what's in your garage? They say that if you haven't used something in one year, most likely you will never use it again. Why don't you do a yard, a yard sale and put that money into a ministry that can use it to feed the poor? And I'm not talking about just the poor or the people who say they are poor because they don't want to go to work. I'm talking about real missions. Uh, you go, you, you know what's funny? We'll get to the point right now. We, I know we're running out of time. I haven't preached for two weeks. Remember, every time I come back, it's a different deal. What's funny is, so many times, people ask me, why do you keep go going to Mexico? Why do we... There is, there is a place, there is a shelter place for immigrants in Mexico, in Tijuana. That every month, I give a donation to them. And the reason I do that is because there are people with little kids, little babies. They are in need. And if, if nobody helps with that shelter, if nobody gives a donation there, then they're short on stuff all the time. And they don't take money. They take the stuff that you bring them. You buy the stuff and you bring it to them. It's, it's in a Baptist church. And they share the gospel with them. And let me tell you, sometimes I have asked people, bring your used clothes that you don't have anymore. And, and so, I've done that for years, and then I stop, and let me tell you why I stop. People will bring bags of clothes, but people will bring trash. Yeah. So you open the bags of clothes with people in the ministry, and you go through, you go through the bags because, before you take them, because you don't want to take clothes that it hasn't even been washed, including underwears. Believe it or not. And it's like, you check the clothes and it's like, okay, this thing is... Are you serious? You're going to give this out? Well, we left it in the garage for so long that moths are eating it. Right? 
So a lot of times we give trash, not what can be used, not what can be helpful. It's happened to me. I'm not talking to you just to talk. I have a heart for missions, people. When you pick me as your pastor, you shouldn't know that. Missions is in my heart. Missions runs in my blood. I will never stop doing missions as long as I'm alive. Because I know the needs that other people have in other places. You go to TJ. You don't have to go too far. You go to the trash place. And you'll see these little kids looking for food in the trash place. James tells us three things that greed leads leads you to do. Greed, number one, and we might have to do a second part on this, I don't know. But greed leads you to misery. Greed leads you to misery. Verse 1 through 3, it says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Uh, at first you might be thinking, wait a minute, but I know a lot of rich people, they, 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 you know, they have more wealth for themselves and they push and shove their way through life in order to get more and more and they don't look miserable. Well, look again. Look again in verse 1. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries, the what? That are coming. It's coming. Do not doubt it at any times. James is saying the miseries are coming. They are not here yet, but they are coming. You will get it. You will experience the consequence of your greed. You might not think about it right now, but you will experience it. These people are taking comfort in what they have now. And they are finding false comfort and false satisfaction through the greedy consolation of riches. Not realizing that one day they will be facing misery beyond what any of us can imagine. Because they will be judged by the greed of their possessions. Remember the rich and Lazarus? Remember when the rich got, got, got to... To hell. And he's looking at Father Abraham. And he's telling Father Abraham, Father Abraham, please send somebody. And he was regretting. He, he, was, he, he was hurting. And he said, you had, your, you had your time on earth. And you had an amazing time. You were indulging yourself while Lazarus was suffering and you didn't even care. The simple pursuit of riches for self-dependency and the self-pleasure will fail us all. You cannot trust in these things. Instead, we ought to turn out to God in humility. This has been the message of James over and over. Notice that he tells them, weep and wail, howl. Very interesting word, weep, clauset. It means To sob out loud. Sob out loud. It's not a silent crying. This is what's going to happen. Once these people who trusted in riches and wealth 
for their lives, for their happiness. Once it's over, once Judgment Day comes, these people will be crying and saying, Why? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I trust in God? Why didn't I share with the poor? There will be howling and crying. There will be weeping, lamenting their way. They are laughing right now, but one day they will be lamenting. It was used for other sorts of publics, like when people went to a time of, uh, to a funeral in a time of death. It was also used for the time of shame and regret of somebody. I repent, I regret so much not using this for God's glory. To help others, to help the real needs of people. This is as a result of trusting in money and possessions. And, and so in verse 2 he says, the well you, the, the, Your well has rotten. Does any of you remember who Pablo Escobar was? You remember, right? So Pablo Escobar, when he was running away from the law, what did he do? He went and start, you know, begin digging all the money he had buried everywhere. And all the money he buried, when he pulled it out, guess what? It was, what was it? As he touched the money, it would just fell apart. It wasn't good anymore. And there were millions and millions and billions of dollars. Your world has rotten. And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. They were depending on these material possessions as his life depends on them, but they were wasted. Quick example. Uh, quick example. I'll, I'm going to give it to you. We'll get to where we get. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. So let me read the text and then I'll give you a little bit of background on this text because this text is amazing. Luke chapter 12 verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd, Jesus was preaching, Jesus was talking. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Pay attention to what this guy was asking, okay? Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter? Between you. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So this guy is asking Jesus, Jesus, you're a man, you're a leader, you're an influencer. Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. From verse 1 through verse 12, guess what Jesus was talking about? So this guy is thinking, I'm going to tell Jesus to, give me, to, to help me with my brother. He doesn't want to give me stuff. But Jesus wasn't even talking about money from verse, 11, from verse 1 through 12. you know what Jesus was talking about? If you read verse 1 through 12, you'll realize Jesus was talking about the seriousness of being a disciple of Christ. He was talking about the seriousness of being a believer. How serious it is to be a believer. He was talking about this is what you are supposed to be like. This is what you are supposed to do. And he's talking about the seriousness of discipleship. 
And this guy, while Jesus is talking about that, he's thinking, well, I'm going to ask Jesus to help me with my inheritance. He's thinking about money. It's like if I'm preaching my heart out right now to you, and you're thinking, how much money do I have in my account? Do I have enough money? How many people owe me money? You're not even thinking about what I'm talking about. Oh, but that never happens in grace, nor what we are so faithful. We, that never happens, right? So James is saying, basically, the very fact that these things are wasting away. They're wasting away. Why? Be, because uh, they're rotten. The moths have eaten their clothes. The gold and the silvers were corroded. They were wasting away. And, and this is, take this. This is a witness against us all. This is a witness against who have trust in material possessions. James is in effect saying, look at what you have trusted in and it's dying away. It's corroding. Corrosion, verse 3. Corrosion, their corrosion, will testify against who? Against you. So when something gets corroded, when something goes bad, instead of using it and giving it away to somebody who can use it, that stuff, the day of the Lord, that stuff will testify against us. Oh, I don't have enough food. And then we open the refrigerator and we're like, oh, this stuff expired. This stuff expired. Let's throw it away. Let's throw it. How many of you throw it? Don't even say it, please. How many food do we throw away all the time? And we can actually be good stewards and say, I'm going to buy what's necessary. And instead of spending money in something that's going to go bad, I, I, I'm going to send 10 bucks somewhere where they can feed a kid. Now, we're so used to that. And we're not rich, right? We're not We're not rich. Their corrosion will testify against you, verse 3. And eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded well in the last days. The sin that is mentioned here in verse 3 is that you have hoarded. You have uselessly piled it up. They will be damned because, number one, their wealth was... Get this, uselessly hoarded. Did, did, did you get that? Uselessly, uselessly hoarded. Verse 2 and 3, this is a, a, I mean, that thing. Verse 2 says, your wealth has rotted and moths in your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded well in the last days. In other words, oh, I'm, I'm going to accumulate, I'm going to accumulate, I'm going to accumulate because I might need it later on. Well, I have a surprise for you. You remember about that rich guy in Luke chapter 12? Remember that? Remember that rich guy that says, I'm going to pile up in my, in my barns. And what did Jesus say about that guy? Fool. You're a fool. That's what Jesus said. Not me, okay? I would never call you that. But Jesus said, you're a fool. Today, they're asking for your soul. 
today you will die. And all that you have, who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy 6 verse 8 says, But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. But we're not. That's reality. We're not. And I'm including myself in that. Greed leads to misery. And I have five minutes because I took five minutes to do an outfit. Let's try to get through this in five minutes. Number two. Greed doesn't just lead to misery. Greed leads to selfishness and mistreating of others. Verse 4. So they were not just going to go to misery because of what they have done. But now in verse 4 it says, Look at the wages you have failed to pay the workers who mow your fields. They are crying against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The workers had already done their job. And these, these people were not paying them. And they have failed to pay them their wages. And, and, and what I said before is true. If, if a poor person came and worked for you back in those days, you were supposed to pay them daily so they can have money or, or, or enough to buy food for their family for the next day. So if they were not getting paid, guess what? They were not feeding their families. And that's why it says in verse 6, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not even opposing you. Have you ever worked for somebody that didn't pay you your wages? Oh, I have. I remember when I, when I first came to the States, I told you the story how I crossed, right? Some of you might think it's a joke. It's not. But I was in the corners of Home Depot. You see those people that sometimes you drive by and you say, Hey, how much do you charge for the day? I was one of those guys. While I was going to school at night, trying to learn the language, I was working there. You know how many times people took me to work? And we used to charge $80 a day. You know how many times people took me to work and didn't pay me and disappeared? And at 6 o'clock, I had to go back home, and there was nobody there to pay me. They, they, they would leave me there and say, this is all we have to do, and they would, they would make you work. And, and that didn't happen once. That happened many times. And it, it didn't just happen to me. It happened to a lot of us. And, and we, would, we would try to be careful. We would try to ask the person. After a while, we said, well, you pay me half a day if you're going to leave me here, if you're going to leave. If not, I'll go back to where I was. It's amazing. A lot of things that we don't even have an idea that go on here in our own country. We don't even know that that's going on. Still going on today. People get picked up in the corners for work. And guess what? They don't get paid. I heard the stories. You have lived on an earth in luxury and self-indulgence. It's like we don't have enough. We indulge ourselves and we, love, we give ourselves luxury. 
you have found yourselves, and the idea here is that you, you are the fat cow for the day of slaughter, for the day of judgment. You yourself have done, you have done that to yourself because of the way you have treated the other people. And so James is trying to warn us against this stuff. Proverbs chapter 22, verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 22 and 23 says, Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needing core, for the Lord will take up their case and will, ex- and will exact life for you. Life for life. Don't do that. Deuteronomy chapter 24, 14, he says, Do not take advantage of a higher worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. So it doesn't matter if they're Americans or not. You hire them to work, pay their wages. I told you James was tough on this one. I'm just, I'm, I'm just giving the message James did. Pay them their wages each day before sunset. Remember what I said? Because they are poor and they are counting on it. Otherwise, they might cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Greed leads to selfishness and mistreating of other people. And last, greed leads to self-deceiving. Verse 5 and 6. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have found yourselves in the day of slaughter. In other words, you have lived a life thinking nothing bad is ever going to come to you. All you've done is get yourself ready for the day of judgment. Proverbs 11.4 Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath. The day that Lord brings His wrath is worthless what you have. But righteousness delivers us from death. No one can serve two masters. That's why when Jesus said that, the first is the love money. It says in Luke chapter 16, verse 14, it says that the Pharisees who love money heard all this and were, uh, you know, were snaring at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. Oh, no, we don't do that. We don't, no, no, we, we are justified. But God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in, the, in God's eyes. If you value highly your possessions, your money, instead of helping others and being right with others, you're doing the wrong thing if you don't do that. What is the solution to grief? Thank you for being patient this morning. But I want to finish because I'm almost done. What is the solution to grief? Number one. Let's go a little bit more ahead. There you go. What is the solution? Let's put there number one. Let's go to the next slide, please. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Do not store up treasures on earth. That's going to help you. Don't focus so much in 
what I want, what I want, what I want, and start hoarding stuff, money, wealth, and material possessions. Try to find out what does God want me to do with this. Why am I saying that? Because it also is more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know that? So you have two options. You can be a puddle of water that's there, that's not going anywhere, and it eventually stinks. Or you can be a fountain where the blessings of God that God gives to you, they flow through you to help others. And it's a fountain of fresh water to help others. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In everything I did, I show you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of our Lord Jesus Himself when He said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Love your neighbor as yourself. Feel the brotherhood. Most people now on earth, as in the past, are poor. Some, some people that are poor in other countries of worldly possessions. Jesus, was, Jesus chose to be born among them. Do a checklist. Number one, have an attitude of gratitude. We have so much. Have an attitude of gratitude. Focus on what you have, not what you don't have. Become immersed in the Scriptures. Also, give to the Lord. Number three, realize material blessings will not bring peace into your life, into eternal life. Life doesn't depend on that. Develop charity. Be willing to give, to share. Consider this. God, who do you want me to bless Today, that is in real need. Consider that. You know that there are children in other countries that by receiving a sandwich, a slide of pizza. You know, I've done missions in Nicaragua. Every single year, I send to Nicaragua $500. Whatever church I've been pastoring, that church sends $500 to Nicaragua and to Mexico. With $500 in Nicaragua, we fed... 150 kids in Christmas with 500 bucks. And you know, the first time we give them a sandwich, a little bag of chips, and we also send toys. You have no idea how those kids were happy just to have a meal while we throw away the food. Having your budget, a set amount of money every month. And you say, if it's $10, it's $10. If it's $20, it's $20. I'm going to separate these $20 every month. How, how do I find out? Where do I send it? Who do I send it with? So they can help other kids, other people. You know, I pick two people. I, I pick two kids that I'm, I, I buy their uniforms every year. I don't even know them. But I do it through other people. You know why? Because when I was young, I wanted to go to school. And I couldn't. I had to work my way through that.
having your budget a set amount of money. Stop thinking so much about yourself. About reaching the lost. Invite somebody to drink a cup of coffee and pay for it. And talk about Christ. James has given us a lesson today that I, I couldn't hold it back. I had to. I had to, right? So we just finished with 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 17 and 19. Command those who are rich in this present, which we are richer than 92% of the world, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. Sounds like very familiar. Which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God who richly provide, provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18. Command them to do good. It's a command. It's not optional. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and be willing to share. Sharing is caring. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they might take hold of the life that is truly life. Share. Give. Be generous. Do good deeds. That says the word, not me. It's up to you to obey or not to obey. That is the question. Greed destroys us little by little. Lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth. This is a test. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word this morning. Father, we, we understand. It's, it's clear in your scriptures. We cannot deny what we just heard. We cannot deny, Lord, what you have taught us this morning. Much longer than usual, but your word deserves the attention. Forgive us, Lord, for misusing your wealth, your money. And we understand, Lord, it doesn't mean we cannot enjoy life. We can enjoy life, but at the same time help others that are in need. Share what you have given us. For the benefit of others who are in, a, in worse situations than we are. We pray that your word will do the work in our hearts. Thank you for James and how convicted he has been in our lives in these past 17 weeks. And we pray, Lord, that as we close next week with the last verses in this chapter, that we will always remember the book of James. So practical, challenging to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen.